Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You don't put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated, we're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. <laughs> Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Beauty Translated Season 3 is coming soon with... What? A second host? I'm Carmen Laurent, and this season I am joined full-time by world-renowned Janie Danger. Janie, what are we talking about in season three? We're talking about life, Carmen. Beauty Translate is about the many fragmented lives spreading across this rich tapestry of the trans experience. And the all-new Beauty Translated love line at... 678-561-2785. Listen to Beauty Translated Season 3 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bye. 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 Murder Homes is a production of iHeart Podcasts. Once I was back in the bedroom uh, where the little Stillinger girls were murdered and I was talking to them. I just was conversing, telling them that I was who I was. And all of a sudden, I got this really cold feeling on my arm. And at the time that I was back there, there was a team there with a night vision camera. It looked like an orb had come and lit on my arm. And I feel like that was just a communication between them and me. The towns that dot southwestern Iowa are not a whole lot different now than they were 100 years ago. If you're driving down Highway 71 with the window down on an early summer afternoon, the town of Villisca will only take you a few minutes to drive through. A Dollar General, a splish and splash car wash, and a farm equipment store pass in a blur. And then you're in the middle of nowhere again, speeding through rolling hills and tall grass prairie. This is the story of the most famous murder home in Iowa, and a murderer who departed forever on a morning train, taking one last look at a town he changed forever, closing his eyes as the plains became a blur of green. What does a man dream of when he walks out of a real nightmare? A scene so gruesome that a neighbor will come running out of 508 East 2nd Street shouting to the crowd who had gathered outside and yell, don't go inside if you don't want to remember something that will stay with you for the rest of your days. This is Murder Homes. I'm Matt Marinovich.
Mary Peckham was an early riser and a good neighbor. At 7 a.m. on the morning of June 10th, 1912, she noticed that the three-bedroom farmhouse with a white clapboard was unusually still. Unusual because the family that lived there, the Moors, had a large family, four children. And the night before, after a children's service at the Presbyterian Church, they'd agreed to let two other children sleep over, Ina and Lena Stillinger. Mary thought the least she could do was let the Moors' chickens out of their coop. But she kept one eye on the home, noting that the shades had been pulled down tight in every window. In the barn, she found it peculiar that the livestock were still tied up. So she found an employee of the Moors who had a key, and he opened the door to 508 East 2nd Street. What the employee discovered inside would send him screaming for help. Soon, the coroner, a doctor, and the town's peace officer were inspecting the three bedrooms. In the downstairs bedroom, the Stildinger children had been murdered with an axe. Upstairs, the four more children were also found dead, killed in the same manner. And in the bedroom at the foot of the stairs, Josiah Moore and his wife Sarah had also been slain with the same axe. But the killer had visited the father and mother a second time, carefully lighting the gory scene with a kerosene lamp at the foot of the bed. And then he had swung the axe again, slicing Sarah's face into one-inch strips and pulverizing Josiah's head so viciously that the back of the axe made a dent in the ceiling above, leaving plaster dust on the bed. The coroner would say that Josiah's head had been beaten into perfect jelly. Blood soaked Josiah's pillow, then saturated the bed sheets before dripping into his shoe his wife had left under the bed, until it was full. The killer had tipped the shoe over, seemingly out of the most evil curiosity, watching the blood spill out. Then he carefully set it under the bed again to catch more of Josiah's blood. The windows had been locked, blinds pulled down. Sheets covered the glass doors inside the home. And very strangely, a dark skirt had been thrown over the mirror in the downstairs bedroom where the Stillinger girls were found. Was the killer spooked by his own reflection as he went about his work, perversely honoring the dead he had butchered beyond recognition? After killing them, a final touch. He laid jackets, sheets, clothes over each victim's head. Then he filled a basin with water and washed the blood off his fingers, wiped down the axe before resting it against the wall, together with a five-pound slab of bacon he had removed from the icebox. He locked the door on his way out, most likely as the sun was just beginning to rise, blending in with other Monday morning travelers as he waited at the train station. 508 East 2nd Street and the vibrant family that lived there sat in a mortifying, buzzing silence the rooms curtained and dark. Eventually, if you listened closely, you could hear a phone ringing in the home. Ina and Lena Stillinger's father was calling repeatedly, growing increasingly concerned that he hadn't heard from Josiah. 100 years later, on the anniversary of the crime, the same axe would be displayed by the Velisca Historical Society. It was found leaning on the wall of the Stillinger girl's bedroom at what is now known as the Velisca Axe Murder Home. Over a century later, his identity remains a mystery. We'll be back after a short break. Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. 
LifeLock monitors and alerts you to identity threats you may miss on your own, even if you're careful with your personal information. And if you do become the victim of tax-related identity fraud, LifeLock has U.S.-based restoration specialists ready to help solve your identity theft issues. Plus, all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, meaning LifeLock will reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Let LifeLock help you protect your financial information so all you have to worry about is what to do with your tax refund. Go to LifeLock.com iHeart and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at LifeLock.com iHeart. Identity theft protection starts here. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We're back with Murder Homes. The Velisca X murder home is now owned by Martha Lynn, who bought it with her late husband in 1994. You heard her voice at the beginning of the episode telling the story of her experience in the bedroom where the Stillinger girls were murdered. From the beginning, Martha and her husband wanted to bring the home back to its original condition, tearing down the covered porches, getting rid of the plumbing and electricity, a kind of reverse makeover, so that by the time it was finished, the home on East 2nd Street looked almost exactly like it did on the day of the murders. Structurally, it looks very much like the 1912 house. Is, is it mostly original still, or, or, or over time has, it, has, has there been a lot of renovations? Well, when we purchased it, it was a mess. It was a royal mess. I wish you had a photograph of that because it had ugly green siding on it. They had taken the kitchen area and taken the front porch off and made that kitchen bigger. And, of course, they put electricity in it and the bathroom in it. And so when we got the house to make it more authentic, we had to take all those things out. We had to take the bathroom out, had to take Mm -hmm. the electricity out, had to reconstruct some walls and windows. And so it was about a two-year project before Darwin got it back to what it looked like in 1912. Today, if you're brave enough, you can stay there with some friends for $428 a night. There's a sign out front that says Velisca Axe Murder House, June 1912, just in case anyone's forgotten what sets this quaint farm home apart from all the others on the block. Tours are a relative bargain at $10. Overnight guests don't always make it through the evening, spooked by what they swear is paranormal activity. A few get quite unhinged. One guest stabbed himself in the chest in the middle of the night and had to be taken to the hospital. But the concrete details of Velisca are haunting enough. 
I asked Martha Lynn about the covered mirror in the Stillinger girl's bedroom. That's the one that sticks with me the most. Martha, why, in your opinion, were the mirrors covered? Well, I just think there's some old-fashioned notions about looking in the mirror and seeing your eyes and seeing the crime through your eyes, through a mirror or something like that. But here's one thing, and it makes you wonder if the little minister had something to do with covering those, because people's funerals used to be in the homes. And so when visitors or guests would come to see the body or to visit the family, the family covered the mirror so people wouldn't be standing around primping in front of them, combing their hair or fixing their clothes or that. And so to show respect for the victims, they would cover the mirror so people didn't do that. That's interesting. When you mentioned the minister, you're referring to George Kelly? Reverend Kelly, yes, uh uh-huh. Because I think he actually entered the house. He was a known peeping Tom, and he knew where the Moors lived because they had been to the Sunday school program that night, and he had been there. And so because of his desire to go peep in windows and peep on little girls and things like that, he might have got there after the crime happened and then went in the house. That's my theory. Mm -hmm. And when he was in there, he might have taken things and covered the mirrors because of him being a preacher. And that might have been one reason why the, the mirrors were covered. Reverend Lynn Kelly was a five foot two, red-haired, blue-eyed creep by all accounts. Born in England, he had tried to find his footing in various Methodist churches across the Midwest. Rootless, he traveled the sparse countryside, practicing sermons that no one really wanted to hear. In his spare time, he was also a sexual predator, firebug, and peeping Tom. On the night of the murders, Kelly was not only in Villisca, he was also sitting a few feet away from Josiah Moore and his family, who had gathered at the Presbyterian church there for a Sunday children's service. He watched Josiah and Sarah as they proudly listened to their youngest child, Paul, sing a hymn, finishing with an off-key but heartfelt lyric. Like any family, after a satisfying night, they walked home slowly, the children running ahead of them, Josiah and Sarah holding hands, It was chilly for an early summer night, and a light drizzle covered the grass as they walked up the porch and entered their home, the children laughing and pushing each other, Josiah closing the door behind him. A guest of the Presbyterian priest who lived close by, he soon found himself wandering the streets, feeling sick to his stomach. He thought the cold drizzle would help him clear his head, but the voice only grew louder. At 11 p.m., the Moors and the Stillinger girls had gone to sleep and Reverend Kelly was standing in the shadows of their home. This is what he said happened next. I was in the grip of something. I was in the grip of something I did not understand. I did not know where I was going, nor where I was. I saw a shadow on the side of the house, going from the back to the front, and God told me to follow that shadow. I went hunting the shadow to the back of the house. I did not know who lived there, but I kept on hearing that voice slay utterly. And I said, yes, Lord, I will. Reverend Kelly found an axe leaning against the Moore home, which would not have been unusual in a farming community. He picked it up and went where the shadow went. The shadow led him to the front door, and a voice told him to go in, to do as he was told. 
to slay utterly. As soon as he entered the home, he heard the voice whisper, Come up higher, and he climbed the steps as if he were ascending Jacob's ladder. He saw the children first, and the voice told him he could not turn back. In an all-night interrogation that was only broken by crying fits, a miserable Reverend Kelly, five years after the murders, told detectives this. The Bible says, suffer, little children, to come unto me. And I said, they're coming, Lord. Before I knew what I was doing, I started sending those children somewhere. I had to do God told me. After years of false leads and after dozens of suspects had been detained and released, Velisca prosecutors finally thought they had their killer and an airtight case. After all, they had a confession, and Reverend Kelly had been in Velisca the night of the murders. He had also been arrested for lewd behavior. A year after the murders, he had placed an ad in a newspaper, searching for a woman who would type in the nude. He was even more excited when a woman replied, and he began an obscene correspondence, not realizing he was sharing his innermost deranged fantasies with a vice squad detective. But the case that seemed to be so airtight almost immediately began to fall apart in court. It seemed it was common knowledge that Reverend Kelly was a nut job, a paranoid schizophrenic with twisted delusions of grandeur, who thought he'd get all the attention he deserved by confessing to a crime he didn't commit. He recanted his confession in court, saying it had been coerced. He came across as fragile, demented, almost vulnerable, and his lawyers showered the jury with a long list of his nervous breakdowns and mental hospital incarcerations. The first trial ended in a hung jury. The second jury flat out acquitted him, and Reverend Kelly, peeping Tom, sexual predator, firebug, was free to go. He ended up like many failed preachers, both religious and otherwise, on the Bowery on the Lower East Side of New York, where he managed to convince another priest to put him up at his parish. If you can imagine the demented reverend for a moment, later in his life, shiftlessly walking the dirty sidewalks of the Lower East Side, his shock of red hair turned gray, his face always carefully shaven, is the person mumbling to himself one of the most brutal killers in American history? In the space where fantasy meets reality, only Reverend Kelly would have known He's buried in an unmarked grave in the Bronx. But when I press Martha about Reverend Kelly, she says she isn't sure. Even the most diehard Velisca sleuths constantly shuffle the deck and lay out a new card when it comes to suspects. And, and you believe it's, it, you're not certain, but you think most likely it's Kelly? Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> Reverend Kelly was a rather small man. And the axe is a long-handled axe. And I don't know how he could have... Anybody that would have done what they did had to have a mental problem. So I don't know who did it. I just simply don't know know who did it. Martha also believes that the killer was already in the home, hiding in the attic, when the Moors and the Stillinger children returned from church that evening. I never slept very soundly when when my children had overnight guests because they were... Yes, in my house, and I worried about them. And I think Mrs. Moore probably was the same way. She probably did not sleep soundly when there were other people, when there were guests in the house. So somebody who had would come into the house and climb those wooden steps, it would not be quiet. 
And I think Correct. it would have awoken her or uh, her husband, or she would have wakened him up, and and uh, they might have discovered the murder if he hadn't already been in the house somewhere. There were other suspects, most notably the most powerful man of Villisca, Frank Jones, who detested Josiah Moore. Moore would work for Jones and then quit, tired of six-day work weeks. There was another reason that Frank Jones and Josiah Moore crossed the street in Villisca rather than meet face-to-face. There was gossip that Moore had an affair with Frank Jones' daughter-in-law, Donna Jones. A raven-haired beauty, she was a schoolteacher, but in a small town it soon became known that she was conversing with two men. In those days, telephone operators worked at switchboards. When Josiah placed a call to her, it had to go through one. 874-098-8489. 874-098-8489. Listen, operator. You're not going to be on the line. This is a very private call. No, sir. I'm not even going to be on the line. But when a telephone operator finished her shift, she knew everything that was happening behind the scenes in the small town of Villisca. Frank Jones, the most upstanding of citizens, with an eye on high political office, would have been tortured by the gossip. After the murders, a private detective was hired and managed to sully Jones' name completely. He claimed he'd hired a hitman to kill Josiah Moore and his family. Jones was never tried, but his reputation was ruined. And then there's the serial killer angle. Felisco was on a major railroad line, and so were the Midwestern towns of Rainier and Mount Pleasant, and eight other towns where axe murders also occurred in 1911 and 1912. Four of those murders featured killers who covered their victims' faces. Three murderers had washed their hands at the scene and at least five of the killers had lingered in the murder house. Perhaps most striking of all, two other homes had been lit by lamps in which the chimney glass had been laid aside and the wick bent down, just as it had been at Villisca. In their 2017 book, The Man from the Train, Bill and Rachel James theorized that the murderer could have been a German military veteran and immigrant, Paul Müller. At the time of the Villisca murders, Mueller is believed to have been working as a lumberjack, and the James traced Mueller to a number of similar axe murders between 1911 and 1912 that happened in homes close to railroad stops. Mueller is also the prime suspect in one of Germany's most notorious unsolved murders, the axe murder of a family of five and their maid on a Bavarian farm called Hinterkaffeck in 1922. The farm was also within walking distance of a railroad stop. But when I asked Martha about this theory, she said she doesn't believe Mueller did it. I don't think so. If he came to town on a train, this house was three blocks north of the railroad tracks. Between the railroad tracks and the Moore's house, there were lots of other houses. And I feel like this house was somebody who knew who was living in the house. And that was their destination. The man on the train, he, I, he didn't know the people that he was murdering when he got off the train. And why would he have tried to get three blocks before he decided to find a house that he could uh, murder the people in? We'll be back after a short break. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing 
The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I don't understand what the big fat ones are. You don't put those inside of you, do you? I mean, you do? Yes. This is a show about women. Okay, so I just reapply my lip gloss after eating a delicious lunch. We are headed back now to European political systems class at Baruch College. Woo! Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. That's it. That's actually the name of the show. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. It's like reality TV on the radio. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. And looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. <laughs> Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Beauty Translated Season 3 is coming soon with... What? A second host? I'm Carmen Laurent, and this season I am joined full-time by world-renowned Janie Danger. Janie, what are we talking about in season three? We're talking about life, Carmen. Beauty Translate is about the many fragmented lives spreading across this rich tapestry of the trans experience. Janie, this sounds like an all-new format. Podcasting 2 is finally here. Thoughtful perspectives on current events... Stunning, sexy, bold interviews with an all-star lineup of guests. And the all-new Beauty Translated Love Line, the first ever. Be a part of the Beauty Translated Transcendental Podcasting Experience by calling our helpline at 678-561-2785. For any problem you may have, we will do our best to make it worse. Listen to Beauty Translated Season 3 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bye. Bye. We're back with murder homes. Just recently, four college students were murdered with a K-bar knife while they were sleeping in Moscow, Idaho, by a suspect named Brian Kohlberger. In the last few weeks, there's been a drive by the community there to demolish the home. This happens with murder homes sometimes. There is no rhyme or reason why one home was torn down and another left standing. In Villisca, where the murders were equally gruesome, the house was never torn down. The opposite happened. It was renovated by Martha Lynn and her late husband, until it looked just the same as it did that day. The town of Villisca has embraced the home and its history and the story behind it, adding it to its register of historical places. Embrace is a controversial word when it comes to a horrific crime, but the town isn't ashamed of its history. It welcomes hundreds of visitors each year who wander through the small farmhouse. They leave toys for the children and debate the likeliest suspects. Martha Lynn welcomes them all. I have a question. Is it more important to demolish than preserve? Which in the end better serves the memory of the victims? It gets to the heart of true crime and why we're fascinated by it. 
and demolishing does little to erase interest in cases that haunt the public. In 1994, 10050 Cielo Drive was demolished, but murder tours still cruise by the home where Sharon Tate was murdered. In 1923, the Hinterkaffeck farm in Germany, the one with the strange link to Velisca, burned down. But people, fascinated, still visit the memorial that stands in its place. I would argue that a demolished murder home makes it even more of a specter, because you can't scrape a crime away. People will come and stare at a patch of earth. In Velisca, over a hundred years have passed. Visitors still wander the rooms, and you have to wonder what the Moore family would make of it. This museum of their life, all their love and affection reduced to a single night. A murder home is always fixed in time, and in Velisca, because the murderer was never found, that point in time is agonizingly compressed. His faint traces, his personality etched by the few things we know he did. We keep coming back, unable to find the face of a man who covered the mirror above the dresser with a black skirt, even stealing his own reflection in the end. We replay his last moves forever, and then replay them again. He is always leaving the home as quietly as he came, locking the door and pocketing the key. This is Murder Homes. I'm Matt Murnovich. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You don't put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly-veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. (laughs) Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Beauty Translated Season 3 is coming soon with what? A second host? I'm Carmen Laurent, and this season I am joined full-time by world-renowned Janie Danger. Janie, what are we talking about in Season 3? We're talking about life, Carmen. Beauty Translate is about the many fragmented lives spreading across this rich tapestry of the trans experience. And the all-new Beauty Translated love line at 678-561-2785. Listen to Beauty Translated Season 3 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bye! Bye! 